You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Vince. Hello, everybody, and welcome to issue 78 of the Comic Book Informer podcast. We are coming to you on Wednesday, May 16th, 2012. As always, I'm Vince with Roger by my side. What's up, man? Not too much. I got a nice bookmark. (laughs) I can use this for my comic books. A $25 bookmark. It came with a book. (laughs) (laughs) For those wondering, I picked up the Diablo 3 guide that comes with this most awesome bookmark of Diablo. So, yes, I'm going to use this for my comics now. <laughs> what page are you on? Hold on. I'll tell you. Oh, look. <laughs> Two. It, although I tried it with the digital versions. It doesn't work quite as well. It keeps falling out, doesn't it? Keeps it keeps scratching the iPad. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, this week we're talking about Astonishing X-Men, which historically has been either one of our favorite comic series or one of our least favorite, depending on which story arc it is. But anyway, uh, starting back... It's uh, not the story arc, it's the writer that's making all the difference. This is true. (laughs) Uh, I believe it was November, uh, right after the whole schism thing went down. Neither of us were terribly uh, interested in too much X-Men stuff going on. I tried to check out as many as we cared to, but Personally, I was burnt out on a lot of the X-Men stuff, but I was interested because Greg Pak, who I really enjoy as a writer, did a brief story arc on Astonishing X-Men running through issues 54 – 44, I'm sorry, through 47 called Exalted. Uh, Checked out the first issue. It was interesting, but it was holiday time, really busy time for me. It took me a few months before I was able to go back and check it out, and I'm glad now we have a chance to talk about it because I don't know about you – but I'm a total mark for alternate universe stories. You know what's funny, though? And we've already established that I am as well. But I think we're reaching a saturation point now because we're getting a ton of alternate realities, alternate um, storylines, alternate characters and everything. And not just X-Men, but in a whole bunch of different things. And when this kind of first started out and that's what I was reading, it was like, OK, have we again, have we reached that point of saturation? Because I'm. As much as I love it, it's kind of like, hmm. But then I read more of it. And see, the <laughs> thing with the alternate reality, same as with any other story too, it, it is highly dependent on who the writer is and how good a job they will do with it. If it's just used as a cop-out tool or if it's used as something to create, awesome. And that's what Pac did. So, uh, so in that regard, everything about the alternate universes then became something that was just... How can you not love a Kid Kurt with a Spider-Man lunchbox? (laughs) How can that not be anything but awesome? So, yeah, put it in the right hands and you're going to have something that's great. And that's what he pulled off. See, what really makes an effective alternate universe story for me and for honestly anybody is that it shows you just why the quote, real versions of the characters, it shows what makes them so special by showing how things could be different. And yes, sometimes that different thing is awesome. It still should keep, you know, it keeps the core of the character showing what's same for the character as well as what's different. And we got that here with the the cast that they had developed. Uh, I, I actually disagree with you. I think that what makes it awesome is what the characters, quote unquote, to use your term, the real characters, what they pull, what they glean from the alternate characters that they interact with. Mm-hmm. To me, that's when you see a, a winning solution, when interactions with the alternate 
um, whether they're other X-Men or, you know, regardless of what uh, series we're talking about, when they interact with those other characters, it's what they take from that, what they've learned, what they, what they learn about their own versions of those same people and about themselves and about themselves in that alternate universe. Like when, the, when you're playing with all of those things, that's when you get character development. It's all well and good to appreciate the characters that we have in our universe, but it's when you have that character development that you can that that your characters progress further because of the interactions with the other ones. To me, that's a winning solution. Mm-hmm. So uh, to explain what's going on here, uh, shortly after the schism, Cyclops gets kidnapped by an alternate universe version of Storm and taken to this place where he's held captive. Uh, we'll get into why a little later. Uh, he's being held captive by an alternate version of Xavier, and he finds himself with other versions of the X-Men, not from that universe, but from multiple universes. Uh, there's, like you said, Kid Nightcrawler. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, there was a version of Emma who was very similar to our Emma, just a little bit less of a stuck-up Emma. <laughs> uh, there was a version of Shadowcat who was pretty cool, this like ninja assassin character, and Howlet. How... How can you not like Wolverine who walks around with an awesome hat, a duster, with a Lemmy Kilmster facial hair? That was just awesome in and of itself, besides what he actually did as a character. Yeah, he was a fantastic character. So as we find out, uh, they're imprisoned here because this universe, uh, the mutants basically took over, a la Age of Apocalypse style, where the most powerful mutants, they showed some really nice alternate versions. Uh, Mike McCone did some good stuff with the art here. Great character designs for characters that were honestly in the comic for three panels. Saw some cool stuff with Colossus, Magneto, uh, Phoenix. They were shown as like the most powerful ones who took over Earth from control of the humans. At which point, Xavier brought together his X-Men to kind of even things out. Unfortunately, in the final climactic battle, Magneto kind of broke the planet. So they got together all the greatest minds to try and come up with a solution. And the best they could come up with was this machine that would hold Earth together using the powers of the mutants as its battery. Well, it kind of drains the mutants. So they have to keep popping over to other universes to find new ones. So the story revolves around Cyclops just basically trying to get home. Well, not just to get home, but to find a solution to an alternate solution. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but no, I, at first I was a little leery about, again, that the Matrix kind of thing of using people as batteries. Um, but it's I, something we've seen we've a seen few before. times over the course of X-Men specifically. Yeah. And so it was one of those, once I kind of let go of that, because it's not like they, they dwell on the mechanics the, the, the actual theory of why this works, how it works kind of thing, that's not important. It's the story that's important. So because of that, I was able to let it go and move on. Mm-hmm. And it was just full of all these great moments, uh, especially once they figured out just how many you know Cyclopses and whatnot they've gone through when they get to the the armory and you know they open the door and it's just a room filled with cyclops visors and you know emma starts freaking out because her version of cyclops was kidnapped i think it's interesting that in so many of these alternate universes emma and cyclops actually end up together instead of cyclops and gene yeah yeah no it is very true but of course, uh, Scott also finds parts of his brother's uniform and Jean's uniform, and they—they're like, okay, this has to come to a stop one way or another. 
And I just love that their solution of how do you beat Charles Xavier? Well, they also drained a few dozen versions of Magneto. So they're all running into battle wearing Magneto helmets. (laughs) (laughs) Except Emma, who has this cute little tiara. Yeah, of course. I thought it was awesome, too. One of the things that I liked about this, too, and it it would have been really easy for Pac to fall into... um, into the cliches of spending too much time talking about what makes each version of these characters unique. We get some of that, but it's not really dwelled upon. It's still very much the story that is important. It's still very much that trying to find the solution so that they can stop kidnapping these mutants all over the place. And so that's, again, what kept me going through each of the issues. It wasn't that let's find out what makes this Wolverine so unique. We, we Again, we get some explanations and some of it is like really bloody cool, but it's not constantly brought up. So I really like that. I like that again, the story's the main focus. Mm-hmm. And really the turning point in here is Scott himself, you know, in our universe, especially at this time, Scott's a bit of a jerk <laughs> and that's putting things very lightly. Uh, so when... He's asked, you know, hey, we need your power to save the universe, and he refuses. They're like, that's not right. Every single other version of Cyclops has willingly sacrificed himself to save the Earth, and that's the little twist that makes our Scott different. Not that he's not willing to sacrifice himself, but he's going to look for a better solution first. And I I really liked that it it was that small little development, not necessarily just for Cyclops himself, because he didn't develop, but it was that one little twist that made the story that much more interesting. Well, I like, again, that it's when you're talking about character twists and all that, like just how absolutely evil Xavier is here. And so it's seeing that conflict between Xavier and... And Summers, which is something that we've seen in our reality, though nowhere near to this degree kind of thing. And so I really like that that was in there. So I I, I don't know if that's why there's even more. Uh, he's fighting it even more because it's Xavier kind of thing. There's so many underlying possibilities. It's not just because he's a jerk. I mean, he is trying to do the right thing here just in a different way. But then the confrontation that he has with Xavier as well, you can... You can feel that, like, some of the the things that he's saying go so far beyond just addressing this alternate version of Xavier, but also he's letting go of some of what he has felt towards Xavier as well, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And the one bit that really drove this home for me was this occurred right after Schism, where, of course, Scott and Logan... You know, broke up eh, bromance thing. Yeah. But yeah, they broke up the X-Men and here he is immediately thrust into another situation where he has to work with a version of Logan. And there, there's definitely that animosity right off the start because he has just that natural distrust at this point. <laughs> they, we need to find an alternate universe where they actually get along. That's what we need to do. <laughs> So, you know, they, they, they work together and, you know, Logan has this nice little moment where he notices that Cyclops is a bit more extreme than he's used to. And he's like, you know, I'm worried about that you know, this and this and that. And Scott just walks away. And as he walks away, he sees this, the scars. They're still on Scott's back from being slashed up by Logan and how it sees that. And it's just a cool moment. And that little bit of that, that, that personal punch that we didn't get out of the actual schism event 
I'm happy that it, we at least got some of that here. Yeah. Yeah. How many times do we get these little story event kind of things where something major is going on in the story arcs for, for the X-Men and yet there is no mention of it or barely any mention. And really with the schism, there was like, if you look, say at the, the actual, the, the X-Men title, not the uncanny, but the X-Men title, there was next to no mention of the schism in it. And I know because I went back and reread it. And so I love here that, no, there's not a huge mention of it, but what is mentioned is it's integrated into the storyline and it's made profound. So again, (laughs) way to go back. (laughs) So just a a good story, some fun characters. Uh, Anything more to say about it before we move on? What I will say though, and it is my one criticism, is that I wasn't as crazy about the first issue. Uh, we read that first mm-hmm. issue um, some time ago, and I'm not going to lie to you, I did not specifically read the other ones because of what I, what how I felt about that first one. So I, I just didn't think it was a strong enough opening to a story of this caliber. I didn't think I thought that it was a little too vague in some of what it said. And, and, and how it presented the story, I can see why, because of the type of story it is, but I think, personally, I think it could have been done better. Um, also, the characters in the first one didn't quite, they didn't jive with me. There was, mm-hmm. there was I just, I don't want to say I didn't like it so much as I didn't think it was it was good enough for this in, in, in comparison to the other three. Now, I since went back and reread it after having read the entirety of the the story arc, and again, all the puzzle pieces fit. It's just a matter in how of how they were put together, and I still maintain that that first one could have been done far better. In again, subjective, so it's just my opinion. But if you're reading it, don't base the entirety of what you believe the arc will be based on the first issue. Even if you weren't as crazy about the first one, trust me, read the rest of them anyways. It more than makes up for it. It just lays the groundwork for the story arc. And mm-hmm. the entirety of the story, oh my God, it was absolutely phenomenal. I loved all of it. And I have some good news for you. Starting in July, Greg Pack is going to be writing a comic called Extreme X-Men. Not crazy about the title, but basically Cyclops wants to know what happened in this other universe, goes back over there and basically introduces the characters that were introduced there into the core uh, Marvel Universe. So Howlett, Kid Nightcrawler and them are actually going to be working with the X-Men in this comic. Nice. Isn't that just a five part miniseries, though? I thought it was an ongoing. I'm not sure. I could be wrong then. Okay. Because he's talking about how he wants to introduce other alternate versions of the X-Men throughout the uh, the run. So. Oh, that'd be fantastic. They're they're yeah. strong characters. So it'd be it'd be. Uh, and how can you not love a Kid Kurt? Dude, I would <laughs> buy that great. T-shirt. He, <laughs> Give me a T-shirt great. with Kid Kurt holding his Spider-Man lunch pail. I'm all over that. <laughs> For sure. It, it, for for a number of years, uh, there was a comic running called Exiles, which was essentially the same concept. It was uh, interdimensional versions of the X Men, you know, just hopping through the the, the, you know, the planes and solving wrong, you know writing wrongs and stuff. It was it, that was really entertaining because again, you got these different interpretations of all the characters that you know we've come to know and love over the years. So I'm I'm definitely interested in seeing what he can do with that. Definitely, definitely. All right. Well, moving on to what we're reading, keeping with the X-Men theme, uh, I wanted to touch on Wolverine versus or Wolverine versus the X-Men. <laughs> Wolverine and the X-Men number 10 came out last week. And just like here with uh, Exalted, this was that little touch from the schism that we were missing. It took them 
uh, it hasn't been 10 months, but I think it's been like eight or nine. No, it's actually, yeah, Wolverine's been coming out every once a month. So it's been 10 months and we get finally get a, I don't want to say a confrontation between Scott and Logan, but we get a conversation between the two of them. And it was just really well handled, especially when the feelings of the other staff at the school came into effect. Like they joined Logan for a reason, but in this specific instance, they side with Scott instead. So some really cool character stuff from the schism that at the time we were pretty burnt out on, but at least this much uh, later I can kind of appreciate. I'm going to have to now obviously go and read more about what's going on with the Avengers versus the X-Men stuff Um, because I read this and obviously if you haven't read it all, you are missing some things because I mean, again, in this Summers doesn't come off as a jackass. <laughs> so whereas with the you know the start of AVX, he most certainly does. So I, I liked this because of that because it was yeah. Two it, we I didn't hate Scott, so I yeah, can read it. <laughs> yeah, so it was a lot better because then you can appreciate well why would he be taking he being Wolverine be taking the time out to talk to him based on everything that's been happening with the schism as well as with ABX and so here we're seeing a different side of Scott that is much more rational and is actually making sense in regards to why he's making his choices and that's not something that we got in. AVX. Mm-hmm. And as for the second comic I wanted to talk about, I can't say much because you know, Zub said, don't spoil anything. It came but out. We can spoil it. It came out. We can, but I don't want to. Skull Kickers 14 finally revealing you know, uh, Rex's backstory and the history of the gun. Freaking awesome. That's really all I can say. It was so unexpected and so well done. I, my hat is off to you. <laughs> I can't believe we can't talk about it. What's the point of fantastic comics coming out if we can't talk about it? Well, we'll talk about it later. You bastard. Okay, I loved it too. I thought it was great. (laughs) Although I will say this though, like initially it was like one of those, this is that kind of cliched trap here. You've got to be careful, but he pulls it off. I mean, yeah, when you've got this, you know, this essence saying, saying awesome, and you're going like, okay, I can deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, no, it was, it was great. And to the point where, again, I'm really looking forward to seeing now where this little story arc is going to take us because he's, he's handling it so great. Yeah. It, it, we said it before and we'll say it again. Read this freaking comic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right. And you actually had a couple others that I was interested in, so I'm going to hand it off to you at this point. Okay, we'll start with uh, Avenging Spider-Man, number seven, because we have been absolutely loving Avenging Spider-Man. Not this issue. Did you get a chance to read it? I actually haven't checked this one out yet. Okay, well, I don't want to say don't waste your time, but you might not want to waste your time. I don't know. It's from um, the Eminem crew, so you got mm-hmm. Catherine writing and Stuart doing the art. Um, the art's great. Um, I, I'm sorry to, to Catherine here. I don't mean to insult your writing, but wow, I really did not like this at all. It was a, it was a weak story. It was... Um, again, you can tell the people who were meant to write Spider-Man because it's not any writer that can... And like I mean, we're seeing Dan Slott doing such a fantastic job, and we've we've seen uh, uh, who was it that started with Avenging Spider-Man? Crap, I can't remember his uh, name. Zeb Wells, right? So I think this was just a one-time issue where they brought the Immonens in, and so, Wells yeah. will be back because this just doesn't work. It, it doesn't. It, she she doesn't 
do a good job. His little quips feel forced and the jokes feel forced. And I mean, you got freaking Spider-Man wearing a Minotaur helm to resolve the problem at the island. It's like, oh, come on. Really? There's far too much that's... And again, I know that some Spider-Man stories have to be light and just a fun romp kind of thing, but you can have a fun romp that still feels freaking epic. And that's what we saw when Avenging Spider-Man started with the Red Hulk story. And it was quirky and fun, but it was still epic and unbelievable. This is just, uh, for lack of a better term, and without, again, it's going to be insulting, it's it's lame. It just comes off as lame, and I, I really didn't like it. So hmm. that was that one. Uh, Ultimate Comics uh, X-Men number 11, where we're seeing that story progressing with what's going on with the Sentinels that have been turned onto the the humans versus the, um, the, the mutants kind of thing. The, the story is progressing really quite well. Uh, Nick Spencer's the one that's been writing that one. And then we got Paco Medina doing the art, which how can you go wrong? Seriously, <laughs> you, you, it's impossible to go wrong. Every page is a freaking wallpaper that you can use. Um, the story is, I don't want to say kind of, it, we're seeing where now it's set up for what's going to be coming up next. It's that lull in between the action kind of stuff. We're seeing all the damage that the Sentinels have been doing. And then the president speaking out that they're trying to make everything you know remain calm and despite the millions that are dying kind of thing and then setting it up for what's going to be the the huge battles obviously coming later on with the sentinels and all that and i love how they got the, the freaking they're building the sentinel the huge one like the freaking washington monument kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. i i kind of have to feel bad for spencer because when he picked up ultimate x-men it, it the franchise was not in a good place. Like the X-Men were scattered and it, he's really had to work to build something out of the, the desk, the, you know, the, the divisive pieces of the franchise he was left with. And it, it definitely took a while. I, I was losing faith, but yeah, it is starting to come it's together. It's getting there. And, and I'm not saying that it's there now. I mean, for an ult- ultimate comics X-Men title, there's very little X-Men in this <laughs> comic. Now, that's not always a bad thing. You can have your supporting character, supporting cast, um, holding the load for a few issues and all that because it's set up for what's coming up and whatnot. But there is a surprising lack of X-Men in this X-Men title. So it's not a phenomenal issue. And if you haven't been reading what's going on, it's not even worth picking up. You have to have been reading what's going on to be able to enjoy this, plain and simple. But if you have been... It's good. It is good. It's and I'm really looking forward to where it's going. So we'll say that much. Um, as opposed to Walking Dead '97, dude, my God, <laughs> this is going downhill faster than a freaking zombie head that's been decapitated. It's just, it's, I, I, it, it was not good. I did not like it. Did you read it? It was better than the last couple issues. <laughs> That's no longer saying anything. You know what's funny is um, we just finished watching the Survivors, not Survivor, but the Survivors series. It's a BBC series that's on Netflix. Uh, What did you think of it? I really enjoyed it. Again, taking that the the disaster is secondary to the characters. We 
loved it. I so loved it. And here you can see how a post-apocalyptic story can be done well. And it was. You care about the characters. You care about the situations they're being put into. It's more realistic in terms of the situations they're being put into and things like that. And so you can see again how there, there's hope for the genre. You can have post-apocalyptic <laughs> stories and things at work. And what's happening right now with The Walking Dead is, unfortunately, it's feeling more and more like, basically, he's run out of juice. Kirkman's run out of juice with this story, with with this series. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to say I'm losing faith. I've pretty much at this point lost faith. I don't think it's a coincidence that Walking Dead is starting to peter out as Kirkman himself is starting to take on more roles and responsibilities. Quite possible. Quite possible. And, I mean, we're, we're seeing the, the TV show, we're seeing the game that just came out, and uh, and the comic book is still continuing. It's just, honestly, it, it's, it, it has lost so much that... Like reading 97 wasn't even, there was no point that was like, oh, this is new. This is unique. This is fun. This is none. It was, it was literally a chore to read through it. Dude, Walking Dead should never be a freaking chore to read. This was. Uh, last one I wanted to touch on and to round it right back to what's going on with Astonishing X-Men. That is, I read Astonishing X-Men number uh, 48 and 49. And that is with uh, Lou at the helm writing it, uh, Marjorie Lou, and I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Now, well, I, I have to thank them. You put out a comic and you put Gambit and North Star on the cover. That's like putting up a big sign saying, don't bother, Vince. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can deal with Gambit, although he's far from one of my favorite characters, but I have never liked North Star. And it's not because he's gay. I could give a rat's ass. Hell, he's Canadian. You'd think I'd want to read shit with him. Ah, damn it. I almost made it an episode. <laughs> But you'd think I'd want to read it, but I've never liked the character. Like I was telling you on AIM, he's basically Marvel's equivalent of Booster Gold. And you know how much I love him. So I just, I've got no use for it. And then it just turned into this soap opera between him and his partner. And it's like, again, I don't care about partners and all that. My brother-in-law's gay, my sister's gay. I don't, it doesn't phase me. But this turned into a soap opera. And it was just, it was, it was just annoying as all hell. I was like, no, this is not a good story. Let alone the fact that the story itself so far is really, it, it, well, of course we need to know more about why this is going on, but from what we've seen so far, that it's, it's just, it's all set up. There's no meat to this. It's all potatoes kind of thing. And so I, I'm really not digging this at all. Hmm. And that's yeah. it, I guess. Okay, so finishing up with today's new releases from Marvel, we have Amazing Spider-Man Ends of the Earth. That's a one-shot that's uh, focusing on the international group of heroes that Spidey uh, assembled in the last issue of the actual Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, we have Avengers number 26, Avengers Academy number 30, Avengers versus X-Men number 4, and Avengers versus X-Men versus number... T I hate you, Marvel. I do. Seriously? I, seriously? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just for making me say things like this <laughs> invincible iron man number 517 new avengers number 24 and yeah new version 24 yeah i, I might have messed that up <laughs> i think that came out last week actually 
New Mutants number 42, continuing the Exiled crossover with Journey into Mystery. Thunderbolts number 174, which is actually the final issue before it becomes retitled to Dark Avengers. Uncanny X-Men number 12, Venom number 18, X-Factor number 236, and the trade paperback now version of Marvel Universe versus Wolverine, which is officially your last chance to buy it before it gets any <laughs> less expensive. Yeah, <laughs> buy it if you haven't. Yeah. All right. From DC, DC Universe presents number nine, which is something I haven't talked about in a while because I haven't cared about the characters it's been focused on. But you put out a Vandal Savage story and I'll at least look at it. Uh, Hellblazer number 291, Justice League number nine, which is rapidly declining, Scalped number 58 and Wonder Woman number nine. And to round out from Dynamite, we've got Voltron number five. And from Image, we have Hardcore number one, which is yet another Kirkman comic with art by Mark Silvestri, which makes me wonder if he's doing any work on Incredible Hulk anymore, if that was, or if that was just like three issues and out. And then Saga number three. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm really enjoying that. I don't care. That's going to wrap us up here on issue 78 of Comic Book Informer. As always, you can find us at comicbookinformer.com or on Twitter at CBinformer. If you're on iTunes, we would appreciate some reviews. Or you can reach us directly at either Vince or Roger at comicbookinformer.com. And we'll see everybody next week. Tell them what we're doing next week. Oh, next week. Yes. Uh, Next For anybody who listens to our gaming podcast, this uh, this week we had a fantastic interview with David Gator, best known as the lead writer on the Dragon Age franchise. And I say franchise because it's not just the games. He wrote some novels, and he also wrote a comic book that came out earlier this year. So he will be joining us on this podcast next week to talk about just that. So definitely something you guys are going to be interested in listening to. Can't wait. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Gator was freaking, he was fantastic in the interview for for the lore so i cannot wait to just shoot the breeze with him about this comic series as well yeah he has to uh live up to his potential of uh episode titles though yeah well there is that of course we'll, <laughs> we'll have to remind him it's a clean podcast <laughs> <laughs> all right so again see everybody next week <laughs>